Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions for you, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, president and CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Brian, how's the day treating you so far? How are you? Oh, doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Always glad to hear that, Brian. I hope our listeners are doing well today, too. We've got another great great show lined up for us today. Primarily, we're going to be talking about the J.P. Morgan Guide to the Markets, and this is going to be the second quarter guide to the markets. But before we get to that, Brian, you and I were talking off the air, and you know, we talk about inflation all the time here in the program, and I experience it to some extent, but it really hit me in the side of the head like somebody, you know, banging me with a golf club here when I took the kids and a new grandson out to dinner the other day, Brian. And, you know, I had a salad and a little salmon on top. My wife had a conservative dinner. And, you know, by the time the bill came with a tip, right, it was $295. I couldn't believe that. Yeah, uh, I had a similar experience. Took my boys out and uh, one of their girlfriends and... I, I had a burger and, and iced tea, and yeah. and you know we didn't have anything all that special. It was at a at a cafe, and it yeah. was literally two hundred dollars. By yeah. the time I walked out the door, I was like, "Wow!" Imagine if they put that bill in front of one of my kids; they would have oh, yeah. they would have passed out. You know, two hundred dollars yeah. is hard to make when you're eighteen or twenty four. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And uh, I don't know how people. You know, I see these restaurants full and everything. I I don't know how how people with regular jobs afford to go out. I think you were talking about baseball game. Uh, yeah, and you know, you, you go to a ballpark, you know, baseball is supposed to be America's pastime. I think football probably has surpassed it in terms of popularity, but yeah, I hear older people talking, fondly remembering when their dads took them to a ball game and they had a hot dog and popcorn and watched this particular person. But these days, by the time you go to a baseball game, you park the car, you get some refreshments, and I mean, you're talking a couple of hundred, if not 300 bucks, and then you go out before that, you got a $500 event and that's in the outfield because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was in the diamond club the other day i know those tickets were yeah. were over 500 dollars. i think they were 800 dollars a pop and yeah 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 you got free food but i can tell you i can't eat 700 dollars <laughs> worth of food so. oh my gosh now but yeah, after all so, i mean really brian aren't the mariners worth it so sure. far this year huh <laughs> absolutely but i don't know how uh, a lot of people do that i i you know, inflation is really taking a notch out of people's yeah. spending, and I, and I think it can be and, and should be a big concern for people because what we have now, you know, they, they say inflation, uh, the the government and, and so forth, the Fed, they say it's transitory and all this stuff. But if you look back in history, it's kind of where we're at now is kind of close to the average, and we've been for a long time. Yeah. So it's not like this thing you should go, oh, this is going to go away. We're going to go back to zero inflation or 1% or 2%. I wouldn't count on that uh, because that historically is not accurate. And so I think if we're thinking about, you know, there's a show on finances and finances go your whole life. If you're thinking about your life and your finances, then you need to accept the fact that we might have high inflation mm-hmm. and any projections we run need to account for that. You can't just assume it's going to go away and stay away. I don't think it's going to. I don't think so either, and I don't think they're going to reduce the prices of food in restaurants or really reduce the prices of food at grocery stores. Of course, we still have high gasoline prices. I was down in Southern California just last week, and, you know, they're still paying $5.550. This is for 87-octane gasoline. Energy prices are way up. They're just up across the board, and it occurs to me, you know, if you're a, a, a working couple and you've got a couple of good jobs going for you, I mean, you're not able to put away as much money as you used to. Of course, the old 401k is, uh, you know, if you don't see it, certainly you don't miss it, and it's an easy way to do it, but I think that today's people who are in the accumulation phase just don't have the same opportunities as before this inflation hit. What's your opinion on that? 
Yeah, I'm just kind of chuckling here when you mentioned the 401k. I remember back in 2008 when the market dropped. Yeah, uh, people were saying, "Well, my 401k is now a 201k." Yeah, <laughs> and, and and now with inflation, I'm going to call it the 101k for yeah. some people. Yeah, and so I think there's a lot of people that have maybe we we've talked about on the show before lazy money, right. money not earning very much. I, I helped a, a client just last week. They had 1.3 million dollars in a high yield savings account mm-hmm. at a credit union. And when I say high yield, I'm, I'm putting those quotation marks uh, <laughs> yeah. with my fingers that you can't see because their high yield savings account was paying him about $6,000 a year in interest wow. on $1.3 million. Wow. And so we moved that to a, a series of laddered fixed annuities. And instead of 6000 a year, I think it was going to make 66000 a year, you know, mm-hmm. literally 11 times as much. I moved one CD he had at one of the biggest banks and they had a premium rate and their average rate was, it was twice their average rate for non-premium. So their average rate was two one-hundredths of 1%, but he wow. was getting a whopping four one-hundredths of 1% <laughs> on a five-year CD. Yeah. So I called him up. I said, uh, what's the penalty to cash this in early? He said, well, you got to give up your interest. I said, how much is that? And he literally said, $6.42. <laughs> With a smile said, on oh. his face laughing. Yeah, yeah sure. I said, I think we'll be cashing this one in. Yeah. And you know, they didn't even ask why. I mean, of course, yeah. they knew why. They know. And so we were able to get literally over about 125 times that by moving it to an annuity product. So. I can't imagine how many people are out there because this was one of the three biggest banks and that's what they're offering. So they must have billions and tens and hundreds of billions of dollars of money of people that they're paying literally nothing to. Right. And with inflation, you know, maybe you didn't notice when there was no inflation and prices were the same. Mm-hmm. But now that a $60 dinner is $200 yeah. and and everything you do is, is way up, now you might have to want to notice that and say, mm-hmm. okay, I got to make sure that all of my assets are working for me and not against me because literally you're losing money. Your 401ks, the 201k, the 101k, you're losing money to inflation if you're not up on that and taking the right steps to provide for offsetting some of that. And those people who can go out and spend two, $300 for dinner, I mean, they are truly blessed. I mean, we certainly have paid our dues, and these are the fruits of many years of maybe sacrificing and going without. But I think about younger people, and when I say younger people, someone to me, younger is like 40 years of age. I mean, when they go out and they spend that kind of money, truly, it puts more of a dent in their pocketbook, and I think they really have to lean in more, have more of a conscious effort in planning for retirement here in the accumulation age than maybe we did when it was sort of a set it and forget it thing. And I know you used to invest your raises, you wouldn't take them, but it's just a whole different world today. Brian, let's talk about this uh, J.P. Morgan quarterly guide to the market here. This is the second quarter, and I want to start off here with the S&P 500 index at inflection points, and I know that people cannot see a graph on the radio. So can you translate what we're seeing visually to what people can hear and make them understand it? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to attempt it because, yeah, talking about a graph on the radio is, is risky business, as you know, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do my best here. But one of the things that jumps out at me is something we've been talking about on this show. A lot of people are talking about how the market losses have affected them. 2022, market dropped uh, significantly and people's you know account balance is way down. They're, they're worried about that. They're concerned about that. But what's interesting is if you take the low point at 2008 when the market crashed mm-hmm. and you draw a straight line through the center of what the market's doing and you end up where you're at right now, there were two adjustments that happened, big adjustments. Right. And that line basically counteracts or ignores, eliminates the big drop we had from COVID, mm-hmm. the big recovery we had from putting a whole bunch of money into the economy right. by putting trillions of dollars literally into the economy to stimulate it. And then the Fed coming in and pouring cold water on the economy to do the opposite of stimulating the economy, creating inflation. So if you go back to pre-COVID and you just draw that line from 2008 through where the market was during COVID Mm -hmm. and then continued that line straight, you end up where we're at today. Right. Meaning that COVID, all that money to put in the economy and then the drop from last year all get eliminated 
because it's like they didn't even happen. It's like they didn't happen. So I know people think I've lost all this money, but really that big increase we had prior to the loss was kind of not founded in economics. It was founded in borrowing. Mm -hmm. And and basically, we had to pay it back uh, through the inflation and and the Fed raising rates. And so if you go back before that, you go, oh, if this had just not happened at all, I wouldn't even have noticed it. But you see what happens in our psychology is that when the market's up, we kind of put that in our head that this is our new benchmark. I've earned that. It's as if I sold my stuff at that point. Right. But when it gives it back, we kind of go, oh, I lost money. Well, eh, did you? I mean, you're still up. If you go back two years, you're up. But if you go back one year, you're down. So yeah, it went way down. It went way up. And then it went back down again, back to where it should have been the whole time uh, in the first place. Yeah. And if you look at this graph, as I'm looking at it right now, as you said, from 08 until about, I'm going to say maybe 21 or so, it's almost a 45 degree angle going up and up and up until we get to COVID, at which point it drops. So yeah, we may have lost a little money from, uh, I'm going to say 21 through 22. But yeah, you got to consider the gains that you did have. Let's go to the next slide now, Brian. And uh, the S&P 500 valuation measures the forward P.E. ratio. Yeah. So the forward P.E. ratio, the 25-year average is about 17 times earnings. Mm -hmm. And right now it's at 18 times earnings. Okay. And so we're pretty much in the ballpark of where we should be, which interestingly enough, over the last 25 years, we're generally not near the ballpark where you either have an overpriced market, an underpriced market, and it goes pretty dramatically on one end or the other. It always comes back to the reasonably priced figure, which is essentially where we're at now. And so people say, is the market too high or too low? Looking at this graph, I'm saying, well, it's kind of where it should be. Yeah. And, you know, and and so we, we might project that we're not undervalued, we're not, not overvalued. So the market, again, is kind of where it should be. One of the things that jumped out at me, though, on this is dividend yield. And so the 25-year average dividend yield for the S&P 500 is 2%. Right now, it's about 1.75%. Now, I believe that the average, if you have your money managed by somebody, the average out there is about one and a quarter percent for fees to the, the brokers and so forth. And so if your dividend yield is one and three quarters and you're paying one and a quarter, you're really only netting a half of 1% in yield. So when we talk about what investments can do on the show, we talk about the four things that we're looking at. We're, we're looking at growth, security, liquidity, cash flow, and tax savings. Those are the four things that investments can do. The stock market does not do cash flow well. So as I just pointed out, maybe your stock market's doing half of 1% bottom line to your cash flow. So if you're looking at the stock market as the answer to your cash flow, you know, I was driving in here this morning and I was listening to the ad and, and it was the big investment firm out there and, and mm-hmm. uh, they hate annuities and all that. But I'm thinking about this. All they do is invest you in the market right. and then charge that fee. And so what are they doing about cash flow? Because <laughs> they're not using annuities, okay? They're not using private non-trader REITs or Delaware Statutory Trusts or a lot of the things that we do for cash flow. And I'm thinking, well, gosh, as long as you don't need any cash flow. So anybody listening in retirement, if you don't need any cash flow, <laughs> just call them up, man. They'll, yeah, they'll sure. come out and they'll, they'll beat you over the head. They'll take your money and put it in the stock market. That's great. Yeah. Uh, but for those of you that might think you want cash flow, which my, I suspect might be 99% of the people listening, yeah. uh, there are other things you need to do. But the stock market, based on this graph here, isn't really my go-to for cash flow. We're talking with Brian Evans. This is our second quarter guide to the markets. And if you're wondering how this affects you, you might want to get in and sit down with an advisor at Madrona Financial. Get your no-cost, no-obligation rooted wealth analysis. What is this rooted wealth analysis, you ask? Well, if you've ever asked yourself the questions, I'm not sure when or how I can retire comfortably. I'm stuck because I don't want to pay the big tax bill. The market negatively affects my mood. And you know all the other questions. You certainly could benefit from getting your rooted wealth analysis. And this is an analysis that will determine whether or not your roots are deep enough to sustain yourself in a retirement that could last 30 plus years. You want to get retired and then you want to stay retired. So if you want to get your rooted wealth analysis, very simple, go to madronafinancial.com and click on the get started button. There are just a couple of very simple questions that you will answer. Then you'll be set up with an advisor who will spend about 15 minutes with you talking about 
your situation and how deeply rooted your financial plan is. And don't worry, our financial advisors are certainly not going to sell you any product. You do not have to worry about that. We don't know you just yet. The only way we can suggest a product to you is if we get to know you. And this is simply an exploratory call. To get your Rooted Wealth Analysis, once again, go to madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. There is no cost and no obligation for that. Brian, we're going to get back to our second quarter guide to the markets here in just a moment. But I want to ask you a question first, Brian. I sort of teased you off the air here and told you to think about the cell phone. Brian, when do you think the first personal cell phone call was made? I was shocked when I found out what date it was. Well, it wasn't Captain Kirk with no. the uh, communicator. Because um, <laughs> that wasn't well, real, right? No, no I'm talking well, about the real one, yeah. Oh, the real cell phone. Uh, it definitely wasn't my dad because no. he didn't really own one. He didn't like so, them. No. I don't know, Jeff. Well, surprisingly enough, Brian, April 3rd, 1973. That was a little more than 50 oh. years ago. Martin Cooper made the first cell phone call in the streets of New York. His invention at the time was a brick-sized device. It became the first cell phone available to the general public. And, I mean, this thing was like the brick you saw, you know, on the movie Wall Street. Probably that was advanced by comparison with what this was because it weighed two and a half pounds. Can you imagine? It was about 10 inches high, inch and a half wide, three inches deep, and indeed it was like talking into a brick. Martin worked for Motorola and the first cell phone call, you know who he called? He called his competitor at Bell Labs and said, I am talking to you on the first cell phone. It's a real cell phone, the personal handheld portable cell phone. And uh, he says, no, I wasn't really adverse to rubbing his nose in our achievement. But yeah, it was 50 years ago. And when you think about the cell phone today, Brian, I remember once when you lost your cell phone and I helped you look for it. It's sort of a really helpless feeling because it's not just a way to make phone calls. I mean, this is really your lifeline to the world, isn't it? Well, it certainly is. Uh, I had to chuckle at what you said, though, because it reminded me of my own little revenge story. I, I was uh, when I came out of college and went to work for a CPA firm, right? And uh, they they didn't really treat people real nice there. So I was mm-hmm. there two years and uh, went in and gave my notice. I was moving to another firm, and the partners looked at me. Well, I knew you were never going to make it as a CPA. Maybe you'll catch on <laughs> as a bookkeeper someday, yeah. but you'll never make it in this industry. <laughs> this is what he told me after two years. Uh, wow busted my hump for him and so i was like hmm okay let's see about that yeah so about 10 years later my firm which i was now a partner at was as big as they were Mm -hmm. and every year we had to hire an outside cpa firm to audit the audits that we did and so you know who i called i called that (laughs) firm and hired them well they didn't send out two flunkies they sent out two partners to go yep what's he doing and they were just like Oh my gosh, you're as big as we are. I said, that's right. Go back to the the partner who said I wouldn't make him. Let him know how I'm doing here. (laughs) So uh, that was my my fun little revenge story. Uh, Sounds like the the Motorola guys. Yeah. That's what jumped out at me on that story, Jeff. Well, Martin Cooper is still alive, the man who made the first cell phone call, but he thinks that the modern cell phone isn't even close to its peak form yet. He sees advances in AI technology as the next new frontier in how we communicate. So happy birthday to yourself phone, where would we be without it? Brian, let's continue now with our second quarter guide to the market. Let's skip ahead to corporate earnings and sources of earnings growth. Yeah, I, I always go to this graph. I think it's really super important because the the reason the market is where it's at is because of net profit earnings. You know, uh, mm-hmm. businesses are valued based upon their earnings, projected earnings, that kind of thing. And so if we look at the earnings of the S&P 500 scaled here, we see that in 2022, the earnings dropped, actually dropped due to inflation Mm -hmm. uh, from 2021. But they were were still very high. It was the second highest year ever. Now, the projections are where I want to know because people always ask me, what direction is the market going to go? And I always tell them uh, unequivocally, I don't know. <laughs> but I do know that the, the source that fuels the, the pricing of the market is earnings. And so if I have a good projection of earnings, I probably have a pretty good projection of where the market could be. It won't be, but it could be. And so as we look at the projected earnings, the projected earnings for 2023 are higher than they were in 2021 when the market was at its its high point. And so theoretically, 
we might see that the market would be okay. Even though we have inflation, I think corporations, you know, what are they doing? They're raising prices. Of course that happens. And so that in the long term, their net profits are not going to be affected so much by inflation. They just raise prices and we pay more and, and get less for what we pay for. But their profits are going to be there. Now, the other thing that jumps out at me, though, is the next two years are two of the highest increases in profits projected in history. And so I don't know if that's a result of just technology changes and AI and all these other things that, that make companies more efficient and so forth, their profitability better. But the projections are from J.P. Morgan uh, that profits are going to increase substantially over mm-hmm. the next two and a half years. And if that's the case, it would, it would seem to, to reason out that the market could be substantially up too. So I, I know I, I do talk to a lot of people now, you know, they're concerned about the market, which is fine. You know, you're, you're in retirement, you should be. But to just throw it out, you know, the baby out with, with the bathwater may not be a good idea. The uh, market can be very good and, and projection wise, it should be good. We don't know if it will be, of course, but uh, that may uh, may need to be part of your overall portfolio. Although I did mention it doesn't solve the cash flow conundrum in right. retirement. So it's a tool in your toolbox, and it's not the tool you're going to use for all your jobs. So. Brian, you were talking about profits there, and this next slide is rather interesting because, boy, the profits in like 08, 09 are much different than they are today. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, profit margin is how much of every dollar comes in goes to the bottom line after expenses. And so if we go back, uh, oh, 30 years, uh, profit margins were about 4%. They were pretty low. Right. Um, and then over the next, uh, oh, let's say 10, 15 years, they were getting up uh, to the upper single digits, you know, right. 8 9%. 2008, though, can't happened, and profit margins dropped to zero. Right. So I, literally, yeah, corporations wow. in America were making nothing in the right. aggregate. Uh, but that recovered pretty quickly. It went right back to that, that 9% range and stayed there for a good 10 years. So profit margins were about 9%. Uh, then we had a, a big increase prior to COVID, a big drop due to COVID, although it didn't drop all the way to zero. It dropped about 6%. And uh, then it went way up when we, the stimulation of the economy happened. It went up to uh, over 13, uh, but gave that back pretty quick. And, and now we're back in line. It's still growing. It's about 11% right now. And there's only been uh, pre-COVID and part of 2019 where it was this high. And so that's what I'm talking about uh, with profitability. Uh, not only is the overall profits uh, considered to grow substantially in the next couple of years, according to this report, mm-hmm. but we also kind of back that up with profit margins are near an all-time high, and they've been trending up for 30 years. And I, I give that to uh, technology advancements primarily. And so even in the in the wake of inflation and so forth, we're seeing profit margins gradually increase, and they're right about where they should be, again, along that gradual increase. So that, that helps substantiate some of the, the findings I'm finding uh, uh, talking about here as to where the market could be in, in the next couple of years. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs about the quarterly market report. We've been talking about profits here, and we're going to continue this in just a moment. Meantime, you're listening to the program today. You'd like to get a hold of our latest book. It is a fine book, if I do say, Brian, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. How to Confirm Your Retirement is Designed to Support the Quality of Life You Want for 30-plus Years. This will really break it down for you. In this book, you'll learn about a lifestyle plan, a growth plan, protection plan, tax plan, health care plan, gift plan, and legacy plan. If you'd like to get that book right now, you can text RADIO to 833-673-7373. RADIO, 833-673-7373 for your digital download. Or if you would like a hard copy, just tell us you want that in that text. Give us your name and your address, of course, and we will be sure to send that out. And while you're there, if you've got a suggestion about our show, a topic you'd like us to talk about, or a question, again, we welcome that by text 833-673-7373. And for more information about our firm, log on to our website, madronafinancial.com. Want more strategies that can help support the quality of life you want for 30 plus years? Well, stick around. We'll be right back with more Growing Your Wealth. 
Did you know that taxes may be one of your biggest expenses in retirement? That's why it's so important to work with a team of financial advisors and CPAs who work together for your benefit. Madrona Financial and CPAs offers the team you need, consisting of both experienced financial advisors and CPAs who can help you pay less in taxes and be better prepared for retirement. Get more from your financial team. Start your retirement conversation by calling 844-MADRONA or visit madronafinancial.com. Tired of only getting half the story? That's why it's so important to get your financial information from a CPA and an advisor like Brian Evans. Now let's get back to some of the most comprehensive financial information around. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And in this segment, we're going to continue our discussion about the J.P. Morgan Guide to the Markets for the Second Quarter of 2023. And Brian, before we get to that, I want you to explain, if you would, to me and the listeners how we can use this information that you're giving us here today. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, this this has a lot to do with the economy and the stock market itself. We certainly spend time on our show talking about techniques to improve your financial life, whether it be 1031 exchanges with Delaware Statutory Trust, guaranteed lifetime income with fixed index annuities, tax-free income uh, in retirement with Universal Life or, you know, so all, all these different product kind of things and planning ideas, uh, tax planning, estate trust, business succession, charitable gifting, all that. But at the core of many investment portfolios is the stock market investment. And so this is kind of a deep dive primarily within the stock market. And that's a tough one because everybody has you know emotions related to markets because it's so volatile. And so we understand it's volatile, but can we make some sense out of that volatility? What we should expect in the future? What causes it? What we might see happening long term and so forth. So that's what we're trying to do a deep dive into. Not to say you need to put all your money in the market or right. you need to take it out of the market. It's it's understanding what you're in and why you're in it and what some of those expectations based on historical data and projected data might mean. Well, I think information and education is power, and I think that's what we're doing here today is empowering our listeners to understand things just a little bit better so that they have the information that they need to make intelligent decisions. So let's continue here, Brian. Our next topic is corporate profits and fixed business investment. And you explained it to me this way. It's profits, but it's also then the amount of money that you have out of those profits that you can invest back into your business. Yeah, and so I I found this one kind of interesting because we talked on the last show about small businesses and and how when we have a profit, entrepreneurs are wired to reinvest that money back in their business to grow it. Mm -hmm. We're not wired to go out and I think I'm going to gold plate all the toilets in the building that I'm in and, uh, you know, do a worldwide cruise now. Uh, that's not what entrepreneurs do. They typically they invest back into hiring more employees, invest in the, in their business, whether it's operations, equipment, facilities, uh, whatever it is, they invest it back. And this graph really proved this out to me because if I look at the, the historical average over the last 30 years of corporate America, their net profit, as I mentioned in the last graph, was ranging between oh about six percent to the bottom line to uh, today it's a about 11% goes to the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And so you say, oh, okay, so for every trillion dollars of sales, you got $100 billion going into somebody's pocket. Well, that's not the case. If you look at this graph historically, actually the, the companies really don't keep any of that profit. The average has been, in fact, that they reinvest the entire profit historically over the last 30 years back into their business. Mm-hmm. And currently that figure shows that the net profit of corporate America is about 11%. And they're taking actually more than that and reinvesting it back into their business. They call it CapEx, capital expenditures. And so what we're seeing is corporations like entrepreneurs, according to this graph, are absolutely wired to grow their business and not not be constant, not not be passive. You know, we, we know businesses that didn't grow, you know, blockbusters of the world and so forth. Yeah. But most companies create, innovate, they grow, and that's what keeps them uh, relevant. And so just like entrepreneurs in our country, the corporate profits, the entrepreneurial profits go back into the business and create those jobs that make us the most powerful economy on the planet. And so I thought this graph was fascinating that uh, literally 100% and more of the corporate profits are being reinvested in corporate America. 
Yeah, can you imagine back in the day if Steve Jobs or, you know, Bill Gates said, you know, I'm making some money here. I think I'm going to, you know, as you said, buy gold-plated toilets for my house instead of investing back into the company and investing in technology and investing in employees or even Ray Kroc with that McDonald's. Hey, I'm making some money here with these hamburgers. I think I'll just, you know, buy a bigger house. You know, they did the right thing. They invested back into their businesses. They invested into uh, people. They invested into technology. And that really just benefited everybody. Our next one here is value versus growth. Brian, can you break it down for us? Yeah. Uh, so uh, value versus growth. We know that on the, on the 40,000 foot view that value stocks are kind of your blue chip type stocks and growth are more of the technology kind of high growth stocks, maybe averaging lower profits, but have higher growth. And as we look at whether they're cheap relative to uh, each other, we're seeing that the the value stocks are still undervalued relative to their long-term average. So for years and years, uh, growth stocks have been, you know, healthcare stocks we'll we'll throw in there, uh, certainly technology, everything technology would would go into that group. And there's been a lot of money put into that. In fact, uh, now the S&P 500 is so dominated. You know, you look at the, where most of the money is, it's Microsoft and Amazon and Google Apple, and yeah. Apple. And yeah, it's a, it's it's all these technology shares. Uh, Tesla jumped up in there though. Uh, they're, yep. they're more of a manufacturing company. But for the most part, the, the dominating piece of the S&P 500 is tech stocks now. But uh, the negative to that is that a lot of those tech stocks might be overvalued right now because people keep buying the same stock. You know, every time you you put money in the S&P 500, you're buying a lot of Microsoft and Apple and, and so forth. So uh, if everybody's buying the same stock, it can tend to get kind of overpriced. Uh, they do have the highest profit margin though too. So that there's a reason why people are buying these shares. But I just wanted to point out that value stocks relative to growth stocks are still undervalued relative to their 30-year average. And to your point about tech stocks, Brian, I mean, 13% of the S&P 500 is Microsoft at 6%, Apple at 7%. Amazon is 3%. The remaining are really basically less than 1%. We're talking with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial, and we're talking about our quarterly guide to the market here. Brian, let's continue here by talking about small cap versus large cap stocks. Yeah, as I just mentioned, uh, when you buy the S&P 500, your tech stock component is literally 26% right now. And then healthcare is second at 14%. So those are growth stocks. And you got financials and consumer discretionary, which would be more value stocks, I guess, at 13 and 10% of the S&P. And so it's heavily dominated by information technology and healthcare stocks to the tune of 40% is going to be in those two sectors. The, the sectors that are underrepresented, I would say, would be real estate, materials, utilities, and energies. They're all under 5% of your investment. So just, just knowing that going in, that when you do buy the S&P 500, a target date fund, or, or anything, any mega cap kind of ETF or mutual fund, you're loading up on tech stocks and healthcare stocks. So as long as you're okay with that, that's fine. And they're all large cap, uh, mega cap kind of companies. If we look at it, small caps, uh, small caps are much more volatile. They're they're certainly undervalued relative to their long-term average, but uh, a lot of small cap companies are, are struggling. There is a full 40% right now of small cap companies in the Russell 2000 that are not making a profit. They're not even making a profit. It's only six out of 10 are making a profit. So that can be kind of disconcerting that there's going to be some sorting out, I think, of, of smaller companies as the larger companies dominate markets. Uh, smaller companies are finding it tougher to compete. Brian, let's continue now with our guide to the markets here. Next one is returns and valuations by style. Yeah, so if we look at the price-earnings ratio of small cap versus large cap, small caps still are trading at a premium to large cap because of the potential growth of a small cap. So you get a, a really big company. It used to be Microsoft, you know, and these Amazons, and, and they, they could grow it a ton in a, in, a, in a year or two. Their sales were growing rapidly and so forth. Well, now that they're the size that they are, it's very difficult for them to double or triple again in their sales. It's just, you know, they're, they're maintaining market share. They're, they're, they're becoming a blue chip now as we define that. And so it's harder and harder for them. So people are looking for bargains in the small cap 
arena. And as such, uh, small caps are still trading at a premium. So just be aware of that. If, if your portfolio is too heavy in small cap or mid cap stocks, uh, historically, that's, that's done well for you. But uh, they are still trading at a premium. Brian, let's uh, talk about the S&P intra-year declines versus calendar year returns. And despite average intra-year drops of 14.3%, annual returns were positive 32 of 43 years. Yeah, that's an interesting graph. And, And what it showed to me is that every year since 1980, that's a lot of years, right? That's that's 40-something years here. Every year, the S&P has gone negative during the year. No exception. So people that want no volatility might not want to be in the uh, S&P 500 in the stock <laughs> yeah. market. Yeah. Go, go get your annuities and CDs and so forth. But every single year, which is fascinating to me because... You know, you think about it, haven't there been years where the market just started out good and you always up all year? I'm like, no, that doesn't happen. It always goes negative. And the average negative drop is substantial. It's, it's well over 10%. So at some point during the year, now this year that we're in, we've seen it drop as much as 8%. Most people are going, well, isn't it up year to date? I'm like, yeah, it is. As of, you know, the recording of the show, it is up, but it was down 8 uh, last year it got down as much as 25 and it w- ended up down 19 for the year. Two years ago it was down as much as 34, but it ended up the year up positive 16. And so even with these drops, we have generally positive outcome at the end of the year. We did not in 2022 though. It was substantially down. In fact, 2022 was the third worst year since 1980 in the S&P 500. The only years that were worse were 2002 and uh, 2008. And so last year was a really bad year, but it was following up three really awesome years where the market was way up in the three previous years. Brian's given us a lot of great information here on the Guide to the Markets this week. And if you're saying to yourself, you know, I really would like to understand this market guide a lot more, I encourage you to go to the website that is madronafinancial.com. There you have a chance to click on the Get Started button to get your rooted wealth analysis. So what is that? Well, you've seen these trees that are blown over here. They have shallow roots, and it's the same with your financial portfolio. If your roots are not deep enough to sustain financial storms like we're in right now, or they can't sustain a retirement that lasts 30 years, you need to deepen those roots. And you do that again by clicking on the Get Started button at madronafinancial.com. When you do that, you'll answer a couple of very quick questions. It'll only take a couple of minutes here. If that, then you can be connected with an advisor who'll go over how deep your financial roots are. This is basically a very short call. Nobody's going to put the thumb down on you and press you to buy anything. We do not sell product. We do not even offer product to talk about product in this consultation. This call is all about you and making sure that you are positioned correctly, as I said, for retirement that could last 30 plus years. Again, no cost, no obligation, no judgment whatsoever. MadronaFinancial.com and click on the Get Started button for your rooted wealth analysis. Brian, we're going to get back to our quarterly guide to the market in just a moment. Brian, I know that you used to collect coins and stamps, and I want to tell you about a coin that is the most expensive coin in the world. It was sold for more than $7 million. Brian, it was a 1933 double eagle. It was a $20 U.S. coin made of gold that never went into circulation. Just a few of the coins were made, but most were destroyed, save for nine that were presumed stolen by the U.S. mint workers. After years of circulating the globe and falling into the hands of a few notable owners, including the King of Egypt, one of the coins was auctioned off at Sotheby's in 2002 for a record $7.59 million. That made it the most expensive coin ever sold at auction. Brian, what do you think the most expensive coin that you ever collected was worth? Well, let's see. Um... I think when I was a kid, I saved up my berry picking money and I bought a 18, I think 1881 uncirculated $10 US gold coin. And wow. So that was a prize of my collection when I was a teenager. I, I unfortunately didn't pass this along to my children, as you would say, <laughs> that, 
the best thing they ever bought was maybe an Xbox or bet, whatever man. it was. But yeah, I, I was always a, a nerdy geek, even as a kid. And so I, I had quite the, the coin collection. I remember when I was, I would sit at the morning breakfast table eating my cereal with my dad and I'd look up the price of silver because I had $300 face value of silver mm-hmm. coins uh, when I was 12 or 10 or whatever. And I would, I would watch it and uh, it was usually about four bucks an ounce and, mm-hmm. and then the Hunt brothers cornered the market and went up to 50 bucks an ounce and I was yep. calculating the silver content of my coins. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I was a super nerd. Always yeah. have been. Hey, and so I'm nothing yeah, wrong I'm with that. Nothing wrong no, with that. I was I was a, a 12 year old and I figured I was worth ten thousand dollars <laughs> in silver. <laughs> Pretty good. And then uh, about a month later, I was back down to two thousand. Yeah, I was, oh, or one thousand or whatever. But uh, that was that was a fun little ride. So that was like, ooh, this is kind of cool. I like this <laughs> investing thing. So I kind of parlayed that. Now now I work with uh, figures much bigger. But oh, yeah. that would be at my ten dollar uncirculated uh, U.S. gold coin when I was a uh, young teenager and whatever happened to that coin you don't still have it do you oh gosh yeah i have all oh you do coins. okay good oh yeah so you I, never I never new. never sold them off i like that no no i was like well what's the point uh, and i thought well i'll leave these to my kids someday and they, they'd look at that and go well that's ten dollars dad what's the big deal <laughs> so <laughs> you know i am not sure who i'm gonna leave my my coin collection to so if anybody out there knows somebody that really likes uh coins and, and stamps <laughs> i've got all kinds of stamps that i don't have anybody to, to give these to that that i know appreciate them like i did so <laughs> let us know <laughs> well the only coins i've got i think are in the seat cushion of my car and the stamps are about uh, 10 of those forever stamps so you're doing a lot better than I am. But yeah, I mean, listen, this nerdiness really did pay off for you. The rest of us were getting beat up on a baseball diamond or a football field. So I think you made the right decision. Brand, let's get back to our topic here. And this is the second quarter guide to the markets. Next one, economic growth and the composition of the gross domestic product. Yeah, so this this one's kind of interesting that uh, the trend line for the economy has been up about 2% a year is what it averaged. Now, it certainly dropped due to COVID, and then it recovered, and now it's uh, dropped again. And so uh, I'm often asked, are we going in a recession? Probably, maybe, I don't know, but I'm not sure that that matters to most people. Yeah, it's always that my tired joke on this show, uh, definition of a, a recession is when your neighbor loses their job, and the definition of a depression is when you lose yours. Yeah, so exactly. really, it's it's a person-by-person person thing. I mean, yeah. I feel bad if we have a recession, and mm-hmm. and generally, you know, the economy overall, but I'm probably not losing my job. I don't plan on firing myself, and if I do, I'll just hire myself right back because yeah. I'm the CEO. So, you know, <laughs> it, it doesn't necessarily affect people in retirement. It doesn't necessarily affect a lot of people out there that have uh, skill sets that, that are somewhat irreplaceable. And so, but for those that it does, you know, then it's pretty devastating. But uh, we're seeing a pretty consistent 2% uh, year to date, year over year. And uh, what the other thing, the components of the gross domestic product, we hear about consumerism uh, drives the economy. And that's true. It's 68% of the GDP. Uh, the government spending is 17%. So where they can affect the economy, they, they don't dominate the economy. Consumers do. And so when the government raises taxes and they spend more money, they take away from consumerism. I mean, it's, 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 got to, it's one or the other. Mm-hmm. Either we're spending the money or they're taxing us, taking it and spending it themselves. And so when we're voting for new taxes, you're voting for pay cut. You know, you're, you're going to have less to spend. And so that, that's just something to consider when, when thinking about the, the voting box. Brian, I'm going to open up a Pandora's box or a hornet's nest here. And I know you've got something to say about the next topic. Federal finances. I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. So federal finances, right now, the, the spending, the, the federal government is spending $6.2 trillion a year. And they're raising about 77% of that. And the other 23%, they're borrowing. So they're borrowing $1.4 trillion a year. We're overspending what we have coming in by that amount, $1.4 trillion a year, mm-hmm. which is almost a quarter of what we spend. 
Uh, I don't know about you, Jeff, but I can't get away with that with my family budget. How about <laughs> no, you? No, I was just thinking about that. Boy, you know, if my expenses are so much, if I'm spending more that I have to borrow money to keep up with my expenses, it's a recipe for disaster. And, you know, I don't have an economics degree. I just am using basic sense. But I kind of think that maybe the people in charge don't have economics degrees or even some basic <laughs> no, sense. No, they do not. <laughs> no, President Biden did not attend an economic class when mm. he was in okay. college. I would think I'm that would be sure. a prerequisite for a position like that. I don't know. You would think so. Yeah. Uh, it's not. And okay. so okay. literally half of the, what we spend is on Social Security and Medicare. Right. About $3 trillion a year. Defense budget is about $0.9 trillion, so just under a trillion. And other spending and interest is about $640 billion a year. It's 10% of what we spend is just on interest. That number is going up because the accumulated debt uh, right now is nearly 100% of our GDP. It was only that high once in history. One time was it were we borrowing as a percentage of our GDP as high as we are right now. That was uh, right after World War II. Mm-hmm. in the 40s and we're back to that level and it's projected to go to 118 percent over the next 10 years i think it'll, it'll be higher i don't jp morgan I, I love your graphs and so forth but i think you're underestimating the <laughs> ferocity of of our elected politicians in borrowing money i believe it'll be much higher than 118 percent I take that back because uh, J.P. Morgan was calculating that the uh, corporate profits were going to go way up, that we'll have uh, substantial economic gains over the next 10 years, more than offset by more substantial borrowing. And so that that's probably where they forecast that. But um, I find that somewhat alarming that, uh, you know, the, the debt, the debt uh, is going to be as high as it's going to be. We, we know that's coming. Uh, it can't go like that forever without really challenging the value of the dollar. And Brian, we talked about personal finances, which leads me into our next topic here. And this is personal savings rates, personal savings as a percentage of disposable personal income. Yeah. So how much are we putting away? Historically, the average is about 9%. So Mm -hmm. people average about 9% of their income they put away in savings, 401k, that kind of thing. That number has dropped due to inflation. People are cutting back not so much on spending, apparently. They're cutting back on what they're putting away. Mm-hmm. And right now, instead of the 9% average, they're averaging about 4 4% is all we're putting away. So the price of things went up. Did we stop going to the restaurants, spend $200 on dinner Ooh. for four? Nope. Nope. We just <laughs> cut back our 401k contribution. There you go, or, buddy. That's the American uh, way. I just priced out is. a new Porsche Panamera, Brian, $153,000. I'm not giving it up. No way. And so uh, we haven't changed our, our spending habits. We yeah. have changed our, well, where am I going to get this extra money? I know. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'll uh, kind of put off that whole retirement planning thing. It'll work out. Yeah. Um, and that that can be problematic because we know the power of compounding. If oh, you, yeah. If you oh, yeah. throw a wrench into that compounding thing early in life, uh, it'll, it'll, that wrench will you know, hit you in the back of the head later. So yeah. just, just you know, I wanted to point out that that, you know, it was just a, a few years ago, three years ago, it was averaging eight, roughly 8%. Mm-hmm. And now it's cut in half. So we have literally cut in half as Americans, cut in half how much we're putting away for our retirement. Well, I hope that that changes some point in the future. But as you said, right now, 4%, we're not giving up, you know, our 80-inch TVs or our latest uh, iPhone, that sort of thing, or our luxury cars are going out to dinner to $200 dinners. I would think that that has to stop at some point in time. But after all, if you're doing that, I guess you're more the average American. And we just want to be, we just want to be a little weird, a little non-average. What do you think, Brian? Well, yeah, I, well, two things on that one is people listening to this show right now are probably not at four percent they're probably substantially higher yeah and the other thing is four percent eight percent even eight percent is probably not going to get it done the way you want to get it done it needs it obviously it needs to be higher than that for most people that have the kind of retirement they want eight percent is not going to get it done four percent certainly is not going to get it done i suspect that most people listening again to the show 
are, have been well above that. That's why they're listening to a show called Growing Your Wealth instead right. of the next show or the show previously maybe called <laughs> Spending Your Wealth. There I don't know. I, I don't host that one. I just host <laughs> one called Growing Your Wealth. So right. that's what we'll, we'll stick to here. Yeah, and I think this is very good advice. As I said, the information that we're giving you today is going to be educational and empowering. Brian, of course, we can't do a radio show these days on finances without talking about inflation. We did touch on that in the beginning of the program here. So let's go to our next topic, CPI and core CPI, as far as inflation goes. Yeah, so uh, we know we have inflation. We had a huge increase. Historically, though, you know, if you go back far enough, uh, we're not that far above the average, but we are above the average. Um, And so uh, I remember back in the 70s, it was just crazy you know we had recessions we had stagflation uh stagnant economy with with really high inflation and so forth so then we kind of settled in in the 80s to this oh four percent kind of area for inflation and then in the 90s it was dropping below three uh and then uh, 2000s it was dropping uh, to the twos and so forth and, and you know between one and two and then it popped way back up so uh, I do. I think it's going to stay at this level. I, I have no idea. Um, I assume that the government's going to continue to pour cold water on the economy. The economy's would be just firing on all cylinders if it weren't for that. But uh, with all the borrowing we had, uh, they they figured out they had to do that. And so we're we're in this inflationary phase. And as I mentioned at the onset of the show here today. Uh, part of your financial planning needs to address that. It, it really does uh, because when we look at projections and we go 20 years or 30 years, we know how powerful compounding is. Well, on the negative side of that, uh, negative compounding for inflation is just as powerful. And so that can have the most significant effect on your retirement planning. And so we need to factor that in when you're doing your retirement plan. As I said, Brian, so much information, so little time. The purpose of the program is to educate and inform you, our listeners, so that you can understand your finances, your retirement plan, your growing your wealth strategy, and make sense of it all so that you can have a healthy and prosperous retirement. If you'd like to get in and sit down with an advisor at Madrona Financial and discuss your individual situation, we're offering a no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment financial review. Just a quick look-see to see where you are, and we certainly can offer some suggestions to you. And once again, just like the Rooted Wealth Analysis, we're not going to offer you a product because we do not know you yet. We have to get to know you, what your goals, your dreams, your visions are before we can put you on a path to a retirement in which you not only survive, but you also thrive. To get yours, call 844-MADRONA. That's 844-MADRONA. Spots on the calendar are available right now. You can also request your no-cost, no-obligation, complimentary financial review online at madronafinancial.com. Out of time for this week, Brian. Thank you for your time. Most of all, I want to thank our fine listeners here in the greater Puget Sound area. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week right here with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation and diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.